Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Katie Herbert and I am here uh, with three of the longest standing members of Unbound Theatre who are going to discuss the company and answer some of the questions that the listeners have sent in. So, Mario Knight, if you just tell us a bit about yourselves, how long you've been with Unbound and what role you play within the company. Oh, hello. Um, I'm the I'm the creative producer, which um, <clears throat> I think means I'm, I'm in charge uh, to a lesser or greater degree. <laughs> uh, so yes, I mean I've been sort of in the band since we started it in two thousand and fourteen, uh, so about six years now. Um, so yes, I'm kind of in overall uh, charge of the company, but um, working with people like Erica and, and Gareth on programming. But I've done a lot of directing and writing uh, for the for the company as well. Excellent, Erica. If you'd like to step up, hello, uh, I'm Erica Sanderson, and I'm predominantly uh, an actor. I've been lurking around Queen's Park for years now and they can't get rid of me. Uh, so, yeah, basically I just prod Dario and annoy him until he gives me work to do. Um, so I work as an actor and a director and also a freelance workshop tutor as well. And last but very not least, uh, Gareth. Gareth, are you there? Oh, hello. I, I, I didn't hear you for a moment there, but I will uh, introduce myself. <laughs> I am Gareth, so I've been doing a, a variety of things with, with Unbound for a fair old few years. Um, yeah, I do quite a lot of acting with them, but um, yeah, try my hand at some writing occasionally, directed a few things, and um, I'm yeah, heavily involved with the sketchbook, which is the sort of comedy sketches side of Unbound. Okay, so we will move on to some of the questions that have been sent in by our listeners, um, starting with a general question for all of you, whoever would like to go first. Um, what is your personal favourite genre or form of theatre and why? Who would like to take that? Well, I've got to say, I'll, uh, I'll come in on that one. Um, in terms of um, Unbound's things, what I really have surprisingly loved more than I thought I would is the you know historical or factual things that we've done with the council like you know the Tudor tales the unbound history of um Britain and you know hopefully um coming up we might do some things with um Greek mythology as well and I have really enjoyed sort of researching that subject looking at you know different things that have happened different topic areas and then you know coming in and going yeah this is why this is fun. This is why this is interesting. And, you know, finding a way to, to write that and, you know, see that performed. They are good fun to research those. Mm. Um, so even things like Tudors, where you sort of think, you kind of know, everyone knows a bit about the Tudors of Henry VIII and the Six Wives and what have you. But um, I remember sort of doing the search, kind of thinking, oh, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting stuff you didn't know. And it kind of spins quite readily off into into sketch ideas. So, yeah, they, I agree. They, they've been good fun, those. Mm. Um, hopefully more to come i think uh if we're talking sort of general theater um i love musicals um i love a lot of different kinds of plays um and with with unbound i think uh, the things that i i really love panto <laughs> 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 i do i really, really said love apologetically <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but it's kind no of like, need to be apologetic. No, but it, it, I mean, Panto is, it, it's one of those things that's a bit like the Marmite of theatre. You either love it or you hate it. And um, I, I, I think I definitely prefer being in them or working on them than having to go and see them, I think. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's been one of those things. I've, I've, always, I've always loved working on Panto. Yeah, Definitely. I think the thing with panto is if I take like a food analogy, panto is like the sweets of theatre and it has a bad rep for being like, you know, sugary and quick for gratification and all of that. <laughs> but you can get some really nice artisan sweets. And I think the same is true of panto. Yes, it's sugary. Yeah. Yes, it's quick gratification. But that doesn't mean that there aren't really good, interesting, fun pantos out there. Yeah. You know, I think our pantos are the the lint of um, pantos. <laughs> There's a sponsorship deal in the making. Oh, yes. Other chocolates are available. Lint. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's a truck backing up to his house as we speak. Yeah. It's getting a massive crate delivered now. Yeah. And to use a champagne analogy. Oh, no, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> to use a sports car analogy, Gareth. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they are, I think they are. You know they they get a bad rep, pantos, and and possibly justified. There are there are bad ones out there. We've all seen them. You kind of can't underestimate how important they are for getting kids into theatre. For Absolutely. a lot of kids, they're the mm. only time they're going to sit in a theatre for a whole year, partly because it's really expensive to go to theatre sometimes. Um, I mean, and that is the the best thing about pantos when you've got it up and running and you can see what the audience thinks of it and the way they react to it and the way kids really get into it. That's that's a joyous thing to behold so you know for all the cynicism around panto and um as i say some things are possibly justified but a lot of the time actually people really do work hard at them and i like to think we do particularly and yeah i think they're fantastic for getting kids interested in theater and hopefully coming back to see something else it's one of the great things about you know doing pantos with unbound is seeing it come together yeah. Like, you know, how early it starts getting worked on and you can just you know, walk in. Well, not now you can't walk into Queen's Park, but back in the days where you could walk into places, um, <laughs> you could walk into Queen's Park and just see a flat being painted or see a costume being made or, you know, see you know, some of the, the props or something. And you sort of see it build over a series of months. And I mean, I miss it that some of the most fulfilling days we've, we've had and certainly as, a, as the producer of things is on Sundays when you'd be rehearsing Panto. I mean, now it's not quite the same because we tend to try and start as early as we can on costumes and props and sets. But there could be there would be days where you could walk in and then in the first studio at Queen's Park, someone would be making a prop and you go next door and it's the needlework room and they're making a costume. And then opposite, there's the theatre and the rehearsing and you go into another room and there's the sets being made and another room, the sets being painted. And another room, there's some singing practice going on and another room, the dance is going on. If those are sort of the best times to just kind of walk through the building and everywhere, all the different facilities that Queen's Park has, all the different workshop spaces and studios, they're all there working on one project is really rewarding, I have to say. Now it doesn't happen quite so much. We tend to sort of rehearse at different times and prep at different times, but those days were incredible when you look at the sheer industry behind it and all volunteers. Yeah, and I've got to say, it's one of the um, one of the great moments when you're acting in the panto is that first time where we bring the dance school in Yes, and you yeah. see the the dances, and yeah, you might have got a few ideas about yeah, you might have seen like a small bit of a rehearsal at some point, but then when you get that rehearsal where they come in and you see it sort of in its full majesty, as it were, it, it's a really great moment. Yeah, SDSD, you've been our dance school for sort of our, provided our dancers panto for 
I think sort of seven or eight years now, I think, and who are based at Queen's Park. They're um they're fantastic, they're incredible, really great choreography, I have to say. Mm. Some things like when we did I think it was Pinocchio with the Jitterbug. And again, you, you tend to think of just sort of skipping through a lot of the songs because you know you're waiting for the dancers to come in and suddenly they're there and doing the choreography and you kind of go, wow. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they've been fantastic. It's it's very odd, but again, quite uh, quite moving and quite, <laughs> it means a lot to sort of see the kids mm. growing up as well as kids who really start as little tiny junior dancers who are now their principals. Um, it makes you feel slightly old, but uh, <laughs> that's that's been kind of very odd, but but great as well. They've stuck with it and they enjoy it. I suppose I didn't really answer that question, did I? I just sort of, I just, I just peed <laughs> on Gareth and Eric. I should offer something else. Um, what do I enjoy? I mean, uh, there's been so many of them. I think the thing I enjoy most as a director uh, and as a writer is probably what you call straight plays. Um, so I've done quite a lot of Shakespeare, whether it's stage, audio, or film in the year gone by. But yeah, plays. I think you know, a, a good one act play is pretty hard to beat. You know, whether it's comedy or drama or preferably a mix of the two but it's all been it's, that's the nice thing about unbound is it's it's endless variety so we've talked about uh the various different things sketches tudor tales panto drama how long does it take you guys to develop a script i mean it varies it's one of the things i have to say i did a creative writing workshop not long uh bc before covid and um one of the sort of questions is kind of you know how long does it take to write a script uh, and that's the thing and you kind of go well if if you want motivation or you want to know how long it takes, a deadline's very good for getting the work <laughs> done. And um, I mean, there's stuff we've written that's probably been done in a matter of weeks. So it's done really good. I'm trying to think. I think Captain Christmas, which we did like uh, 2019, was a really quick get around just because of we were so busy at the time. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I remember Captain Christmas and sort of when, yeah, once we'd found out what it was and decided, yes, we're starting writing that. I remember we had a meeting where we sort of fleshed out the basic plot points that were going to happen. And it was very shortly after that, that the sort of skeleton version of the script was actually, actually ready. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's quite days, interesting. Yeah. How sort of having to write suddenly means that you end up writing. Yes, I think necessity really is the mother of invention sometimes. I mean, a lot of the time we do tend to know what projects we're working on relatively far in advance. So I think we knew that we were doing something called Captain Christmas mm. for quite a long time. We sort of pitched it to the town council as something that they might like and they said yes. And I think all we literally had was a one-line pitch, which was, uh, how about Captain Christmas, the festive superhero? And they went, yes, okay, we'll do that. Um, Ruth at the town council, if you're listening, hello, Ruth. Um, but Ruth is brilliant and kind of going, yes, I like the idea, do it. And so that was kind of it for a long time. We probably knew that, you know, seven or eight months in advance. We didn't really start looking at it until, I think probably after the anniversary show in October that year. Yeah. But I think if you you know that the project's coming up and you've got it, I think there's something to be said for just letting something stay in your head for a long time. So I think by the time you kind of come to sit down and, you know, that's sort of Gareth and I tend to do that whenever we're collaborating on scripts, there's always a meeting, which is either kind of with the, the more sketchy stuff like Tudor Tales, going through the research and saying, well, what's good for a sketch? And then working out the list of sketches you need. Or it's in a narrative thing like Captain Christmas or the other scripts we've done. We've done one for Robin Hood, which we're having to do uh, some point this year. You sit down and go, so, right, what's the story? What's the sequence of scenes and what are the running jokes and who are the characters and what's you know what how does it develop and i think if you have had the idea in your head or the title in your head for a while actually there's more brewing there than you might think 
Mm. Um, so that when you do come to do it, even with a quite a tight turnaround, and say Captain Christmas was probably done in a matter of weeks from the first meeting of working out the storyline and the the characters to having a script that was ready to send out to the cast, and it was probably only you know a fortnight if if anything. But actually, probably there was a kind of unspoken development going on for quite a while. I I think, and I I find it 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 really does vary depending on the project how long something takes to um to come together because it's mm. um if i take it for sketches for sketchbook that really can be anything from the moment you've got the idea it comes fully formed and you yeah. just need to get to a computer and type it out to you get an idea for a really funny line and you'll have that rattling around in your head for ages and then at some point you just go yes that's how i turn it into a script and again sort of it it was rattling about for a long time but once you got it it was down and then sometimes you can think i know this is going to work i just don't know how the details work and you spend a long time actually at the computer trying out lines trying to write it and it's really interesting how ideas can come in different sort of levels of development as it were yeah i mean sometimes the plotting of something can take a lot longer than the some of the scripting certainly some of the pantos you can spend a long time working out what the story is and what happens in each scene and what the what you call the story beats or the character beats in each scene are and then the script doesn't actually take that long to write because you've done so much prep i don't think there's a kind of a set rule i think it generally does been what's what's the project how much time have you got is it something you're writing as you say on spec so speculatively that you're just writing because you you know want to have a go at doing that story or because you've got a commission ready or a deadline to meet so it varies so much but certainly i think if you know the project's coming up it can be that it's it develops kind of quietly in your head for you know months and then the actual writing of it is more measured in weeks i think i think a really interesting one was the snow queen Mm. um because that followed a very sort of iterative writing process you know the original first script that we had for the snow queen was very different to the the final script i mean it's it's obviously happened now so spoilers aren't a thing but like i remember the original snow queen didn't really have ice in it in the same way at all yes it's sort of the henchman character yeah and sort of it went went through that um yeah that sort of yeah process of you know adding the mirror troll in and then okay so we've got the mirror troll what does that add how does that work with the plot and i remember we actually got to the auditions and then you know, got some new ideas and again went and revisited the script and a lot yeah. of it remained exactly the same but it was really interesting to see that iterative process of continual back and forth on that one yes it, it, that one probably went through the most drafts i think of any of the pantos and we were i mean i remember we were down in exeter where we took the sketchbook on tour and i remember being sat in my hotel room still doing the script after we'd cast it <laughs> stuff because i think it was it wasn't till we did the casting in i think july we'd done that that we kind of hit on the idea of Alice being all these different bugs, which turned out to be almost the comic highlight of the show. It was a, it went down an absolute storm. Alice was amazing. But I think in the original script, there was only one. There was the love bug. And uh, Alice did it so brilliantly. And we were kind of, when you were putting the, the casting jigsaw together, we thought, actually, I can't remember the idea came from, whether it was you or me or, or Steve, I think was in the room when we sort of were pitching it, that, um, you know, there'd be, a series of different bugs that were puns who came up and you know there was the jitter bug who drank too much coffee in the 
the tummy bug who ate too much and the the doodle bug at the end who was a sort of world war two fighter pilot i'm aware that's not historically right they were german but you can't really <laughs> put german fighter pilots in pantos not really the dumb thing um and then it was only once we'd kind of seen Alice and gone, God, that's just brilliant. She's she's genius that we then went back and put them in. So I, I remember, yeah, it was unusual to still be writing the panto in August because normally they're done by by February. But um... And it's an interesting question it brings up, which is when is a script done, as it mm. were? Because the original script we had, I think, was a good script. You know, there was, yeah. there was nothing wrong with that original script. But I think all of the edits we did also improved it. So, you know, how long does it take you to develop a script? The entirety of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's literally, you, you've got until opening night after then, you've really just got to, got to get on with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what has been the most surprising place that you found an influence for your work? Oh, um, surprising. Well, my, my sort of uh, light bulb moments generally come in the bathroom either when I'm in the shower or on the toilet or hiding from my kids, really, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I get to myself, really. <laughs> so it's when I, um, I, I'll be in the shower or something and, and thinking through things and then sometimes ideas will just pop into my head then. Okay. I try, uh, there's a sketch that we did in the 24-hour show that um, will be in the sixth sketchbook show whenever we... Uh, we present that later this year this is the one in the bakery about the sausage roll and that one was genuinely i was in london at the start of the year and uh went to greg's and brought a sausage roll it's not based on life what happens to that sketch if you know it. it's <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i'd be quite worried yeah. are we going to get sued by greg's <laughs> oh, God. no i'm not i'm not you know there's nothing wrong with greg's i mean but i would say it's if of places that you'd find inspiration it is quite surprising i don't think you'd expect the creative muse to strike in greg's the bakers but it's kind of that thing of when you're writing it and when i've taught writing one of the go-to jumping off points is what's the worst that could happen in any situation just think of a, of a completely normal situation what's the worst could happen and it genuinely happened while i was stood there in greg's buying a sausage roll going what's the worst thing that could happen and that's where the sketch came from so i'd say that's that's probably the most surprising because you know you don't go to greg's for for insight into into the scripting process Mm. I mean, it's not a place, but one of the surprising ways in which I get inspiration is combining things. Because um, there was a, a sketch we've done, the self-aware checkout, and the inspiration for that came from the fact that while I was being very infuriated with you know, one of the automated checkout things, mm. um, I was thinking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> and the self-aware checkout is essentially a combination of HAL with a checkout. And if I hadn't been thinking about that film, which is a weird thing for me to be thinking about, while I was being frustrated by this checkout, I don't think I'd have come up with that sketch. And a lot of my ideas come that way, where I'm just thinking about a random thing, and then another random thing happens, and they just merge into what can become a funny idea. Which yeah. I'm aware is not a place and didn't answer the question, but, you know, inspiration. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's a good example of the thing of, if you there's no answer to where ideas come from really if there was someone would have marketed it but i think that the one of the best things you can do either as a director or as a writer is just fill your head with as much stuff as you can mm. because the more there is rattling around in there and it doesn't have to be you know highfalutin concepts but the more you are thinking about films you've just watched or books you've read or songs you've heard the the more likely there is to be those kind of connections which you say come out of nowhere 
but suddenly lead to a piece of writing or it might be a directorial choice so yeah it's it's a good example i think of just trying to fill your head with stuff and then it will happen in the most surprising places yeah including greg's the baker's Yes, where's the most surprising place? Your own head. <laughs> Profound. There you go. That's we've reached a philosophical high point now. Yeah. Well, crashing back down. Um <laughs> Erica, tell us more about when you're in the bathroom. <laughs> what three things do you think an actor should have in mind when they start the rehearsal process? The lines, the lines, the lines. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very easy for me to say that because I'm I don't act, but genuinely knowing your lines is is the greatest gift you can give to a director as an actor. <laughs> Never mind a nice present on on closing night. Just know know your lines. I mean, in all, in all seriousness, doing your homework is essential. Um, and that that's not necessarily line learning in in the early part, but we've we've talked about this a lot actually when we've been doing audio because we've been doing a lot of audio uh over the last sort of six months and you don't need to learn your lines when you're doing an audio script but you need to know the script you've got to have read it you need to know who your character is and what they want and how they react to things and how they change in a scene you need to know what what the shape of a scene is and uh, how it needs to be pitched in terms of its pace uh, and, and the timing of jokes if it's a comedy that's really essential because you can't do a lot of work till everyone knows the, the work they're doing. There's no good coming to a scene cold in a rehearsal. It just makes things so much longer. And I think knowing what a scene is about mm. is so important to come to the rehearsal knowing that. And it also does help with the lines. I've always found if I don't really know what's happening in a scene, what my character is thinking, what my character does over the scene, how it affects them, the lines will never go in. But the moment I know this scene is the scene where my character you know, gains sympathy for this other character, if I know that and I know the line that he gains sympathy on or the line that shows that is this one here, there's no way I'm going to forget that line because I know what it means and I know what it does. I, mean, I, would, I would say that um, as a director... It's. Uh, I don't necessarily expect people to be off book at the first rehearsals, but as Dario said, um, having read the script, so I would. I would say if I was sort of giving maybe three or four pieces of advice, it would be um, to be familiar with your lines so that you've you've read the script, know your character, know who they are, um, so that you can essentially inhabit them. They are there. They are with you on stage. You know. You know what makes them tick. You know what their emotional. Um, you know, trigger points are you, you know their character and it, all of this isn't necessarily on the first day of rehearsal some of these will be discovered throughout the rehearsal process but be familiar with your lines be familiar with your character know the story know the story arc as a whole know it's not just about your journey it's about other people's journey as well and um, as an, an actor, it's it's very rare that you find your entire character from things that you say. It's a lot of it is about the information that is given from how other characters describe you. And I think one of the most important things is um, be prepared to listen, because uh, acting is not just learning your own lines and spouting what you say. It's so much of it depends on listening to what other characters are saying on stage and reacting honestly and truthfully to them in performance and if you know 
your lines, if you know your character and you know the overriding story, and you are genuinely listening to what other people are saying on there, that is when you get a truthful performance. And that's when that's when the magic happens, and mm. where you get these interactions and, and actors are genuinely sparking off one another and there's an electricity, there's a crackle in the air. And as a director, when I'm watching people and I can see those sparks or, you know, you come in at the start of rehearsal and people are like fumbling a bit and they're learning their way and then you get the wonderful rehearsal process where you are... Uh, it's like you're working on a diamond. You're 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 chipping it away at it to reveal the beautiful cut underneath, or you're you're allowing these moments uh, to organically grow. And when you see that as a director, and then you see it all come together on stage, it's just magic. There is nothing else like it at all. It's it's just beautiful. But as both Dario and Gareth have said, you cannot do that unless you have done the work to start with, which which comes down with with it starts with your script. Yeah, I think coming at it with an open mind is kind of essential as well. It's it's no good coming in so sort of thinking, well, I know how I'm going to play the scene. I know exactly what I'm going to do, but not being open to other ideas because it might be that two actors have prepped a scene when they come together, they've actually kind of interpreted it slightly differently and they need to then find the middle ground. Mm. Um, it might be that your thoughts don't necessarily tally the director. The best setup, the best situation to be working in is an, an openly collaborative one where everyone can share ideas and work together. But I think coming in and sort of having, in a weird way, taking it too far, having to fix an idea mm. is also going to damage you. You've got to know it, as we've said. But I think at the same time, you've got to be open to someone going, do you know, actually, I think maybe if we played this in a slightly different way, I mean, maybe if we made this scene slightly more tense or slightly more angry, let's see if we can find a laugh in this scene. Yeah. You've got to be prepared to work to that as well. I mean, that's why I say, when I, it's what I mean by I'm saying being familiar with things and yes. also being open being open to listen and being open to play because mm. that's that's the mm. wonderful thing about rehearsals is is playing playing with it but moving away then from the actors i suppose what is your favorite part of the process so you go from writing or choosing a script and then right the way through to closing night what's your best favorite bit of that going to the pub after rehearsals <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know what it is with comedic scripts and it's the first big laugh. Yes. It, it's that yeah. moment when you've seen it in rehearsals, you've you know, gone through it in terms of the writing process, but that first moment where the audience you know, just has a really big, good reaction to a script and you kind of go, okay, yes, it is good. It is you know funny or impactful. And it doesn't have to be the first big laugh, but it's, the first big audience reaction that you see where you just kind of get this moment of, yes, it works. And you just completely yeah. relax after that first point. And it, it's just a wonderful moment. I think every year you, I get that with Panto because you, you spend so long on it. You, you've lived with the script for so long. You've rehearsed it for, I think, you know, eight to ten weeks that we work, rehearse it for. And you can't, obviously you can't be... Uh, objective about it anymore you you kind of go through something's going god is this funny is it you know is this gonna work just because you've seen it too many times really and you've you've you're too embedded in it so it's always i agree absolutely when you're sat there watching opening night and the audience laugh at you you're gonna go oh it's good it's fine <laughs> we're all right <laughs> it's gonna be fine it sort of reminds you oh no it is funny it's just that i've heard the joke too many times mm. but it, um, it just creates this so, yeah. great wave of euphoria when it happens it, it's just a wonderful yeah. moment 
I th- I think the most the most exciting bit is the initial idea for me. It's when someone comes in and goes, "I've had an idea. What about what about this?" Or you know, someone comes and pitches a, a script saying, I'd, "I'd really like to direct this." Or you know, we we're fortunate to work with the the town council and Buckinghamshire Council, and in the past year they've kind of come to us saying, "We've got this idea for a project. What do you think?" The prospect of what you're going to be working on for the next X number of months is always really exciting as the ideas come together for you know for a season of work i think for me um in the rehearsal process it is these like little light bulb moments where you get ideas bouncing off on other people you're trying something out and it's it's the moment where i can see the possibility of what it is going to look like on stage at the end and it's it's not there yet but but you know what it has the potential to be and you can see the actors kind of going oh wow okay yes and everyone's kind of diving in and and people are sparking off each other and you just get that rush and it's just like oh yes that's fantastic um so that's what i like in sort of the 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 rehearsal process as as a as a director um as as an actor when you're when you're standing there and you get the reactions and and for me it's not necessarily the the laughs um i think some of the more powerful ones have been when i've got silence but just one of those silences that you could almost reach out and touch and you know, or you've got the, you feels like you've got the audience in the palm of your hand, and just with a, a breath or a whisper, you can take them wherever you want to go. Um, again, magic. The theatre is magic because what we do and what we create, we can make people believe anything and take them wherever we want to go, which is phenomenal when you think about it. Um, so those are the kind of things that that I. I find very very special in rehearsals and also in in performance when or when you come off stage and the adrenaline's going and you just know you've nailed a scene or you look at yeah. a fellow actor and there was either just a look or something sparked between you on stage and you got like one of those silences or you know audible gusts from the audience at a big reveal and you come off and you go yes we nailed it we we <laughs> nailed that scene yes let's go to the pub <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the the one other thing I would say, some of the sort of happiest memories I have of of working on my stuff, particularly with comedy, is is the first read through, the the first mm-hmm. time you hear everyone read it, and uh, the first time you kind of get to hear what each other's going to do with the the script. Um, I'm, there's been some just sort of deliriously happy read throughs we've had with stuff like the sketchbook shows and uh, Inspector Murder and and things like that. That's often just getting to see the group together laughing is uh, you can't beat that what uh, well what do you think has been the most challenging productions that unbound have produced and why i think possibly the first panto that we did beauty and the beast together was possibly one of the most ambitious ones dario do you think <laughs> yeah there was a there was a lot riding on that one <laughs> there was um, there was a lot of pressure on that one wasn't there because it was it wasn't the first production unbounded we we'd done a sort of an introductory evening and then we'd done betrayal but it was the first thing we started work on before unbound came to be you know before the previous panto had finished to be honest we were we were starting work on it and it was of all the things unbound's done it was the greatest statement of intent <laughs> about what we were going to be about that we were going to put the script at the heart of it which uh you know is not necessarily how you do some panto some big panto's often based around a star name they're based around routines they're based around shtick we were going to be the script was going to be given the kind of intense scrutiny we would give to any other process which hadn't always been the case 
and you know even stylistically that what we wanted them to look like what we wanted them to the experience to be it was i mean so there's a lot riding on it it's not as if there were people weren't lining up to sort of say oh well go on then show us what you made of it it wasn't that situation but it was we wanted to kind of demonstrate what our ethos was and also the capability because i'm i'm quite sure it's not every day you'd have someone in your office going right i want this to look like a musical Uh, (laughs) on the west end i'm going to have the full cast singing like this um so yeah i think that was definitely one of the most ambitious things that i've ever decided to do (laughs) in terms of logistics i think you probably can't get more complicated than the 24-hour show i mean that was gareth and i were were starting work on that in like october 2019 i think I that, I, I that think was easy I, for me i just sat at a desk for 24 hours and yes talked. <laughs> <I> read stuff. <laughs> um but the the planning for that went on a long time and then obviously with covid coming along the planning and replanning and de-planning and planning again that had to go into that was just insane and we just when we kind of thought we'd got there there'd be new restrictions and we sort of go right we know what we're doing then i would just come into a meeting and go so everyone's gonna need to stay sitting down how we how's that gonna work then <laughs> um but even know, on the night a... as well we had there were rumors that there was going to be an announcement and we all came in on that night yes. going is this yeah. even going to go ahead or will we be told will there be an announcement at five o'clock and we all have to go home I, I think in terms of the sheer and the, the technical uh, uh, backup of that, Stefan was an absolute wizard. Um, he did so much hard work and it was such a, a feat to get that to, to work. Um, so I think that's probably the most complex thing we've done. There's, there's other things. I think Anthony and Cleopatra's probably quite an ambitious thing to do. I mean, there were genuinely a few people who when I told them that's that's the next Shakespeare, they sort of looked at me and went, really? Okay, how, how are you going to do that then? Um, so that was a, a bit daunting because it's a huge play. It's about three and a half, four hours un, you know, unedited. Um, it's got about 30 or 40 named characters and we kind of whittled it down to a cast of 18. But that was a big project and then to take it out to other venues was pretty, you know, logistical challenge as well. But um, enormous fun at the same time. Gareth? Have you got any challenging productions you can think of? Well, I I would obviously also you know chime in for the twenty four hour show being just in terms of the logistics of of getting it together. I think we must have got to about version twelve or so of the um sort of rehearsal schedule and the the timing schedule by the time we'd sort of done it, redone it, tweaked it. Yeah, the fact that it went so smoothly when it actually happened, I think, is a testament to how much work went in by everyone to just make sure that we were ready for it. And it's one of those moments where it's very easy to get anxious about it. But then you realise that everyone's got your back, everyone's got it, we've covered what we need to cover. And even if something does go wrong, we're all going to come together and solve it. And it was just such a, a great show to see us able to really step up to a challenge that big. And I think really, you know, cover ourselves in glory when we actually did do it so it was incredibly challenging but so rewarding i think my but most, we're not doing another one i think i think my most <laughs> challenging bit was um in the early hours of sunday morning and it was it was some halfway through i think the five hours of sketch shows that we were doing and i just remember sitting there thinking 
oh my god, I've got to read the entire of Alice in Wonderland in a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> got to um, play Beatrice, and, got to do Wild. Oh, I hadn't even got that far. I was so pan. I tell you what, I was so panicking. I really started, it was about between two and three o'clock in the morning, I started to have this major panic about doing Alice in Wonderland. And I thought, I don't know if I can keep going. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Must keep going, must keep going, must keep going. And then some kind of second wind started to pick up from about five o'clock onwards and then at nine o'clock in the morning it was like good morning everyone and welcome if you're just joining <laughs> us <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah yeah so that was um moving away from that to something which i think you kind of touched on a bit earlier have you got any favorite or memorable props costumes or sets that uh, we've had over the years <laughs> i will always uh... have a fondness for leo again from Beauty and the Beast because yes, he was puppet. just beautiful because when I remember when I first kind of pitched the idea that um, the Beast was not going to be an actor it was going to be a puppet it was going to be just a head so it wasn't even going to be a full puppet but it was going to be a head and everyone would interact with it and it would look gorgeous the looks I got was how the hell is that going to work and having to try to explain no no, no you so the actor's hidden no 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 you see the actor behind it but it, it's just the head and, and he he talks and everyone reacts to the Beast so what, he doesn't have a body? Well, he does, but that's the actor. But then how do you make it look like, just just trust me, it'll, it'll work. And how everyone we had, we had Stunt Leo that was the, the foam cast underneath. And then John and Angela did such a beautiful, beautiful job in rendering the beast whose, whose face was, was even, even though it was, um, you know, done, done like a, 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 there weren't any animatronics inside it or anything, but it, it became so expressive in the nature of the performance and just, you know, that how they, how they had sculpted the face and everything. Um, and how everyone responded to Leo. And I will remember the first, so um, poor, poor Ben had been rehearsing with this piece of blue foam on his hand <laughs> for several weeks. And the day that we brought in Leo and I took him out the box and held him up in front of everyone and everyone just went, oh, <gasps> He's beautiful. And just how everyone reacted to Leo. Leo became his own. Ben Ben was playing the beast and Ben was the prince. Ben was our prince. Um, but Leo himself became almost like his own character, I think. So I will I will never, ever forget seeing Leo. And when we went to do the anniversary show, um, Dario had decked out the whole with just the whole stage with 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 bits and stuff from every other production he could find. Um, he said he just wanted like a, an explosion of a store cupboard. And I remember walking out on stage on the first night and and seeing Leo. And I think um, either we'd been intensely rehearsing or something and I hadn't quite clocked that he was there. And I just remember walking out and seeing him and it was like, oh, goodness, you're here. Oh, hello, old friend. Um, that was lovely. That wasn't because you hadn't clocked it. It's because I hadn't finished the set <laughs> <laughs> before we started. <laughs> Going back to Leo, so much credit has to go to John and Angela yeah. for, for so much in Unbound. We're, we're blessed with an awful lot of talented volunteers, people like Elaine and Heather and Lynn who've done our costumes. And uh, John and Angela have designed the sets and painted the scenery and made props and uh, puppets for for almost every almost every show. They've, there's something of theirs in it. And they have come up with some truly extraordinary... I mean, my other favourite would be uh, the dragon. Yes, mm. uh, incredible. I mean, I think all of their puppets are fantastic. And we had uh, Pinocchio when we, we did that as a panto. Just They're, they're just incredible, the, the pair of them. Um, their puppets, are, uh, I think, stand up against anything you'd see in one of the big theatre shows. People are constantly talking about them when they come and see the shows. And their, their set painting as well. The, the, 
the two things I sort of I always think back to. One is the Snow Queen. I think the set for the garden, fantastic uh, scenery and so so much hard work went into that. But the, my overall favourite, the thing I I think Unbound will always treasure is the um, backdrop for Wind in the Willows. Oh, uh, you know they they came up with their whole design of it was going to be the river bank, but it was going to cross the four seasons. So you went from the spring and summer on one side to the the wildwood covered in snow at the other end um and again they put so many hours of work into that and it is beautifully it's a work of art and they um, hit and we, an ewok in it they, they there is a star wars reference in it as well <laughs> i think one of the costumes that i i just love is um erica your dr sprout from captain christmas <laughs> really? um, that was very good because yeah, so i just love the fact that coat. Yeah, the the moment that we'd sort of said, this is the character, here's the script, and y- yeah, you obviously you know went away and came back with this full costume for it, and it it just captured it so perfectly, like you couldn't have come back with something that was yeah any any more sort of exactly Doctor <laughs> Sprout than what you did. It was beautiful, and I I just love those moments where you think all I have to do is tell you the character's name and a bit about them, and you will just create this wondrous thing. And it it was it was brilliant. I um, think Chronomier falls. Into I was gonna that I was gonna say well. Chronomier definitely falls <laughs> into uh... that. Dario sent me um, some um, ideas about the costume, and then I just went away and and came back with my my steampunk professor with the the clockwork waistcoat and the belt, and got my little gizmo made for me, and and my coat, my my beautiful frock coat, which I love, which was such a bargain. It was an ex-wedding hire coat that I got for a tenner off eBay. And when it arrived, it was absolutely beautiful. It was gorgeous, you know, beautiful, pristine. And the first thing I did was go, sorry, old thing, and um, screw it up and <laughs> kick it around my kitchen floor. I kept it I kept it underneath our kitchen table. And every time I walked past it, I would kick it to get it the, the, the beaten up look. Um, it's a bit like Indiana Jones where he, had, where he sat and sliced with a penknife his jacket after film after when he got his jacket and before the first day of filming he, to make it look weather beaten um so yeah i just spent several weeks kicking this coat and rubbing it in the ground and i, I would wear it around the house and deliberately drag my elbows across the the walls to try and get the elbows worn in and everything but yeah i love i love my professor outfit i love it i have to say if, if, before we move on it, if props are getting a mention we have to i think pay tribute to the technique of pottery <laughs> Which is that book that's oh, yes. appeared in more productions <laughs> than anything else. I think we, we used it as a, it was in Betrayal because there's a whole a scene about Emma is reading a book. And I'd made a sort of uh, the dust jacket for it, but we needed a hardback book. So I went to the Queen's Park Library and went, oh, that's about the right shape. And, you know, that's a good hardback. And um, it's it's called The Technique of Pottery. And, um, and it's been used, I don't know how many times. It, it's been in so many shows. With a different dust jacket um, each time. Either, with a different dust jacket or just i think it's now even got a there's a bit of gaffer tape over the spine to mask the lettering because we've used it we've used it as a bible we've used it as a um a set dressing it's as a weapon i'm sure on certain occasions um but uh, i think that sort of has to win for the the prop that's had the most use i think the um the accountant in me will always have a soft spot for the henry the eighth costume oh yes <laughs> i forgot about that yeah, which we we bought for Lost in Time. We did, yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. We first one. And it was because because you know we did a big commission and we had a budget. We thought, oh, well, that's handy because we'll be able to buy up you know certain bits and pieces for the costumes and and make others and and reuse some. Um, 
but Henry VIII costumes are quite hard to come by, uh, and the, the cheap ones really are cheap. They look dreadful. Um, so we pushed the boat out, and we spent quite a bit of money on it. But the thing is, we knew that we were going to do a show called Tudor Tales. Again, this is kind of where it comes in handy if you've got the, the season planned out. We knew that months later we'd be doing a Tudor show, again for the town council, and we had i think we'd had brief history of britain had been confirmed and we kind of thought well you know henry the eighth could pop in there so we kind of thought well if, yeah we can spend the money on the henry the eighth thing then we, it will sort of amortize over several <laughs> budgets <laughs> and it's it's again another one that's got its its use out of it um poor old rob who's constantly wearing it so if anyone else is thinking about doing a production for unbound um the key things are to come to Darry and go i've got this idea and it requires a henry the eighth costume Hen- <laughs> henry the eighth or a time traveler we're sorted either way <laughs> or if you want to do a show about pottery I've, we've got a book <laughs> <laughs> what what do you enjoy most about what you do within the company this is not the time to say going to the pub again is it <laughs> <laughs> yes i love it when it finishes <laughs> no that's uh, um there's loads i mean every bit of the process throws up stuff that you enjoy um genuinely i'd say sort of um putting my you know creative producer hat on the the thing the greatest blessing and the greatest asset that the unbound has going for it is that it's it's a queen's park art center project and the you know not least because it gives us a base of operations we don't have to hire rehearsal space we don't have to hire storage for our costumes it's all there but really and truly i think unbound's greatest freedom is there is no artistic constraint on it we have total artistic freedom over what we want to do um and I have to credit Sarah Lewis, who's the artistic director of Queen's Park. And she's never once said, I don't think you should do that. Or, you know, or said, come and said, uh, right, you must do this this season or must do that. She's always kind of let us get on with it and, and, and cheered us on and, and supported us through it. So the, the fact that anyone could come in with any play or an idea for a script, an idea. Yeah, the, the creative freedom we have and the resources we have is is kind of a joy because I... I hope I never take that for granted because I think that's not something every company has. I think um, one of the things that I have um, really, really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been knocking around Queens Park for a number of years now, and I've done various other productions um, before sort of Unbound came into existence. But if I if I'm truly honest, I think one of the luckiest things that I've been able to enjoy, and I genuinely do over the last several years is being able to collaborate with Dario, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I think he's a wonderful writer, an incredibly supportive producer, um, a great director, and I have loved everything that I've been lucky enough to work on with with you, really. Um, I feel very, very lucky in, in the roles that I've been given to play um from betrayal which was the very first production uh to being unleashed with beauty and the beast as as the panto being you know filling the the set with a cast of 30 odd people um and to being able to to do um things like the the professor as well so i have enjoyed the collaboration especially with Dario, but then also with all of the other wonderful people that I've been able to work with. There is such a wealth of artistic and imaginative and creative talent there. 
that I think we're just so lucky to have. And the fact that it is all about collaboration and getting new people coming in um, and people being able to learn their craft from watching other older experienced actors you may have either trained or performed with other companies and everything like that. Um, that that's that's kind of what the heart of Queen's Park has always been about is people giving opportunities to learn and grow and, and share creative ideas. And that has been incredible. And that legacy that carries through unbound like like a real beating heart is is brilliant. So thank you for everything, really. The check's in the post. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's very, very true. I don't get a chance yeah. to tell you very often. But yeah, it's true. And I think the, the sense of community you do get when, when working for Unbound is, is just amazing. I mean, we do, we do a lot of stuff, but you, you meet you know, with um, you know, people who you really get along with and who we're all throwing ideas about. We're all really invested in the project. Like it never feels like anyone's doing an unbound project as just oh I'll I'll go along and and act for that. It feels that everyone is really invested in it. Everyone's really into it. Everyone's sort of talking about you know things they've done, things that they're planning to do in the future. Everyone's throwing about ideas, and I think that is something that's really special about Unbound is just how invested everyone becomes. You know, from actors, directors, set designers, it all feels that they're. You know, part of the project and not just doing it to act but doing it to be part of it and i think nowhere else was that shown than when we all first went into lockdown and it was you know theaters were shut what are we going to do and i think it's a true testament that everyone every single person involved in unbound turned around and said what can we do how are we going to keep mm -hmm. this going and the wealth of material that um Gareth and Dario have provided and have been a real driving force through so much content that has been produced has been incredible and a true testament to to you guys pushing forward everything for the company as well and for everyone who's a part of it who wants to keep it going and and make stuff happen. And I think it's been a real you know testament to Unbound that during that lockdown yeah, I wouldn't say anything we created is the B team. You know, none of it was are oh, we made do. Yeah, everything that we created there stands on its own merits. You d you don't need to say it was good despite the circumstances. It was just good. It was just enjoyable. I mean, particularly the Inspector Murders that we did, they are so good. Um, and do check them out on SoundCloud, YouTube, <laughs> and on Facebook. Um, but they, they are so good that you do not need to add any qualifiers about COVID in order to show the quality of those those projects. But kind of going back to the, you know, Unbound as, as, as part of Queen's Park, the thing you kind of look back on, even though it's not quite over yet, it was amazing to be helping create Queen's Park's content because I genuinely I'm not biased because I work there um, but I honestly think if you look around the local area even you know further afield there's no venue that did more there's there's no venue that that did so much so well so quickly 2020 was an incredible year for Queen's Park it was set up to be our big 40th anniversary and Unbound was going to have you know loads of big projects as part of it obviously that all changed and yet I think the, the greatest testament you could have had to 40 years is that when you're up against the the unforeseeable, you come up with 
you know there was a whole creative campaign we've we've made a feature film with skype we've done audio series we've done a sitcom we've done you know every single shakespeare on it the sheer amount of stuff and as gareth says you know stuff that's done well not just kind of like quickly knock out another audiobook or something to see that unfold and to see how many people want to be a part of it and, and then sort of look back and say do you know what queen's park really led the way there We've talked about the, the sort of many and varied things that Unbound have put out, but are there factors that limit the number of shows that you can do in any given year? Time. Uh, t- time's the biggest thing. Um, there are only so many weeks in a year. There are only so many rehearsal days we can uh, occupy. And although I think Unbound's done an incredible job, particularly in 2019, which was kind of the peak of... Uh, you know the number of things we were doing I think it was something like 20 projects 20 individual different projects throughout the year there is a ceiling of how many things you can do in a year that's kind of a shame because it it does mean you sometimes have to prioritize some things over others Uh, it means you do have to kind of go I think one of the biggest challenges is that there are so many bits of Unbound that could spin off and be all that we did you know, we we could be a company that did a Shakespeare play every year and toured it for three months instead of three weeks. We could be a, a company that's got a, a, a fantastic sketch group that we could just take out and tour on the circuit of fringe festivals and the the comedy circuit. We could be an audio production company just doing fantastic audio books, doing series like Inspector Murder and uh, shows like uh, Wildstone Butterfly Life Sanctuary. We could be an improv group we could be uh, just new writing constantly looking at new writing we could be a gun for hire that kind of gets commissions in from councils which is one of the things we end up doing any of those things could be all that we did because so they they scale up so easily and so the challenge is trying to you want all of them in the company but you have to be able to try and fit it all in and it's you know that's gotten trickier frankly over the years because there's so many great things happening so yeah time's the great the great limiter but i uh, you know we've we're in a good place for still being able to do a diverse range of projects and add more because the worst thing you can do is be at the point where there's no room for anything new. That's that's dangerous. Um, but uh, yeah, we've we've been talking over the last few weeks about where we're going to be going this year and next year. And, uh, and it's exciting. So, yeah. Once the pandemic is over and we're, everything's open and life is back to normal <laughs> one day in the midst of time. Um, what... When we're all old. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yes. What would you or your grandkids like to see in the <laughs> I mean, there is there's a, a moment that's coming when we're back on a stage with an audience again. Uh, and I'll be honest, kind of just getting to do that again is it's a short term goal, but it's it'll be one of the most rewarding. Um, I hope certainly one of the things that's grown and I was kind of quite very pleasantly surprised uh, during lockdown was the projects we did uh, again which were commissions we did cyber charades for the town council and we did history detectives for uh, buckinghamshire council as part of the bucks history festival um and those were very unexpected it was uh, very much those organizations coming and saying we've got an idea we wonder if you'd like to work with it and it was then became a commissioned project i'd really love to follow that through as we kind of were able to go out and about again I think being able to be the go-to producers, whether it's film, audio or, or theatre, is a really exciting place to be. And hopefully, you know, uh, there'll be new people coming in and uh, new ideas and new projects. Yeah, and I've got to say, in terms of projects that hopefully will relaunch once um, you know live events are a thing again, I'm really looking forward to when it happens, Laws of Time. Because, you yes. know, the, the, original, um, the original Lost in Time, I think, was just fantastic it was it was so fun it was so 
you know, new as a thing to do and everyone involved in it was brilliant. And then when we had the idea for Laws of Time, it was such an interesting idea to explore. And the script, I think, is, is fantastic. Obviously, um, I may be biased in that regard. Um, but it's just such a good script. I can't wait to see it come to life. And I think, yeah, fingers crossed it, it will, you know, not too distant future. And I think that's going to be just an amazing project to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. But I'm probably very, very biased on that as well. Yes, you've got a very biased <laughs> panel. <laughs> Both writers and the star. Um, I, th- I think personally, uh, I'm looking forward to walking out onto the limelight stage, walking into there as either rehearsal and just knowing that we're starting again. And I think that's going to be incredibly emotional and I'm probably going to fall to bits where I, I I walk in and I'm standing on the stage and, you know, I can I can hug people and I can act opposite them without a mask on or something like that. Um, that that will be very, very overwhelming, I think, um, to be able to do that and to know that we are here and that the arts are important and that, you know, we are still here and we are we are back and we're making stuff happen again. Um, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to being able to do Laws of Time. There are a couple of other projects that, that may be happening again next year. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be wonderful if we get to walk out on stage and start doing Peter Pan. That would be wonderful yes. later on in the year. I was going to say, I think with um, acting that I think you don't realise you miss it until it's not there is... That moment of being in a rehearsal and just being able to see and react to the physicality of the other actor, you don't realise just how magical a moment yeah. that is until you, you do all the things like on, on Zoom or on audio or that. I do. The other thing I'd say, I, I hope even as we get back, obviously the, the big uh, focus at the minute is how we get back to live performances and uh, I can say without giving too much away, plans are afoot. Um, but I hope the audio and the film stuff we've we've done over the last year. I hope it it has a kind of a legacy. I hope it has a continuation. And and certainly, you know, there's there's more audio on the way. Uh, writing is afoot, and we're working on a, a couple of film projects, which hopefully are going to give a an outlet for the improv side of things. Because again, while we're waiting to be able to get back in front of an audience on a stage, we've had a few ideas. So I hope that even when we go back to being absolutely live performances and we're back out and about and touring again and uh in the way we we did before covid i i hope some of the stuff that probably wouldn't have happened without lockdown and wouldn't have happened without covid necessitating it starting or certainly brought it forward in the terms of inspector murder i, I think there was also a, a hope we might go back to that but we probably wouldn't have done it quite so quickly um so i kind of hope that even in the the mists of distant time when we're back being a live theater company there's still some audio going on and there's still some video um, because actually it's opened up uh, very different ways of working that I think have worked really well um, and, and stand up on their own. And I'm also looking forward to getting the technique of pottery back. <laughs> putting that in it. We'll know we're back when someone is on stage. With the technique of reading, reading the technique book. of pottery, yes. Reading the technique of pottery, we'll know we're back. <laughs> and someone in a caterpillar costume <laughs> and someone dressed as Henry VIII. You've got to sneak that into oh. Laws of Time now, the pair of you, haven't you? 
And that, I have to say, is all the questions that we have. Ooh. So, uh, how can people find out a bit more about Unbound? Uh, you can. Uh, so long as I did the, the sales pitch. Um, <laughs> well, we have a new website. So you can go to unboundtheatre.co.uk. Uh, and that's got details of all the projects we've worked on. It's got all of our audio and video content is on there. And lots of information about the company. Uh, you can go and look at qpc.org for more information about Queen's Park and where we're from. Uh, social media, at Unbound Theatre on uh, Facebook, Twitter and SoundCloud. And you can see the Unbound Theatre podcast on iTunes and uh, Podchaser and Podbean and wherever you get your podcasts from, it's there. And then hopefully you'll see us, you'll see us someday soon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for answering all those questions. And, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what you guys do next. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.